Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I am so, so excited to be doing this in person, an in-person Collider Ladies Night with Lucy Boynton, one of the stars of The Pale Blue Eye. You know how much I love, love, love your movie, but I also love a lot of the other films and projects you've been a part of. So we are gonna talk about a whole bunch of them right now. Before we get to a single one though, we start every Ladies Night with a game. It's called Dicey Questions. Usually the game involves an actual dice tower where you can roll the die. We haven't figured out a good way to make that portable yet. So I've got eight questions here. You'll ultimately pick three numbers and whatever question they correspond to, that is where we'll start. So what is your first number? Four. All right. Number four is a fun one. This one is IMDb trivia. Oh I'm obsessed God. with looking at people's trivia pages because we usually find like the most random facts in the world about them there. So if you could add one fact about yourself to that page, what would it be? Oh my God, uh, probably nothing. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's a fair answer. Yeah, like I don't want to add more about <laughs> myself. I feel like the less you know about me, the better. Um, yeah, there's nothing really. No notable party tricks or, or elements of my life that people need to would benefit knowing about. I'll can I you, say nothing? Yeah, you can okay. say nothing. I'll okay. give you. I'll give you a little bit of a substitute that could okay. go there, and it, it would be like wholesome and nice. What is what is something that someone else out there would label like insignificant, and not important, but it's a little something that just brightens your day on a regular basis? Um, sitting in a cozy dark corner while it's raining with a good book. What are you reading right now? At the moment, what have I got with me? Um, reading this book, The Next Person You Meet in Heaven by Mitch Album. I read his book Tuesdays with Maury and he write, and the, next, and the first person you meet in heaven would make sense as a prequel. Um, and he writes uh, so intimately and poignantly about death and life and understanding yourself and your journey, so yeah. I'm really loving it. I'm nearing the end of Stephen King's latest, so I'm looking for recommendations. Oh, wow. very Maybe I'll put that on the list Very next. different genre. So good. Fairy tales. So good. good. What is your second number? Um, seven. Number seven is wrap gifts. What is uh, the best wrap gift you ever received from a production? 
I just wrapped this movie called The Greatest Hits and it's about music and time travel and grief and on rap I got a stack of records of vinyls that we'd used around set that my that are so treasured to my character uh, and so I got to take home yeah a really substantial stack uh, and that's both really sentimental and practically great. That is an A plus gift there. Yeah, that's really good. That. Yeah. You have one more number. What is your last pick? Uh, two. Have I already done two? No. no. Great. So this is silly. It's my favorite one. I love zombie movies. So I'm gonna like good. paint a little picture for you here. You are on the set of The Pale Blue Eye. There is a zombie outbreak. You can pick two co-stars to team up with to give yourself the best chance of surviving. Who do you pick and why? Um, Christian Bale, because I think he would be good at fighting zombies. He does loads of, you know, he was Batman, so he's gonna be able to fight zombies. Um, and Gillian Anderson, because I think she'd be really scrappy about it. Okay. Yeah. I like this. Yeah. I kind of want this to be a movie now. <laughs> yeah. And also I've chosen like fighters because I would just not survive any kind of zombie apocalypse. I'm someone who's gonna curl up in the fetal position and just bow out day one. So. Give yourself a little credit. What, what would be your greatest asset to a team of uh, survivors in a zombie apocalypse? Fear-mongering, <laughs> reality checker. <laughs> I don't know. Morale as they go out and fight. Morale is really important. I've heard a lot of people go that route, and it's okay, okay. A, high, a high value uh, quality to have okay, in a zombie good. apocalypse. All right, let us get into the meat of our conversation right now. Every single ladies' night begins here. What was the movie, the performance, or personal experience you had that first made you say to yourself, I have to be an actor and nothing else? Um, doing a school play when I was 10 of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And it was the first proper role I got in a school play. Previous to that, my first role in a school play was as a boulder, uh, a literal boulder, uh, and then a tree, and then an angel. So it was a real big promotion. Uh, we had, instead of like science teachers doubling as drama teachers, we had a real actress as our drama teacher that year. And she taught us in a way that I understand my job now of what it is and what it could be, um, of not just playing pretend, but really exiting yourself and your world as you understand it and trying to find otherness and someone else's experience. And I remember her talking about um, how you can act with your eyes and no one had given us that patience of like, of, education and intricacy into what that can be as a really like valid exercise or way to spend your time. Um, and the idea that you can, can of, of course you read so much emotion from people's eyes, the idea that you could be the in control of that, the author of that was so fascinating to me. And also I think I really appreciated her talking to us um, in, a, in a like adult way, in a way, like giving us credit that we would understand something of that at such a young age. Uh, and that, so that whole experience of that school play was, I guess, turned out to be pretty life-changing. Wow, what a beautiful thing to convey to young aspiring performers. You don't hear about that very often. No, and giving, them, giving us the benefit of the doubt that we would find that in interesting and comprehensible. So that's really beautiful, but I'm a little hung up on this. What, what does it entail playing a boulder? Great question. <laughs> to play a boulder, um, it was curling up in a tight rock, but then I think rolling back and forth. I don't remember for what purpose, but um, 
That's when I uh, caught the acting bug. I mean, I can't act, but like this role sounds like it could be made for me. <laughs> oh, honestly, it was. It's more intricate than you than you would think. Okay. But, uh, one day, one day I can dream. Oh, the bolder days. <laughs> so you decide you want to be an actor. What would you credit with being the first thing to make it feel like a possibility for you? Whether it's like a person you met, a first gig you booked, something like that. I think again, it was. Helen Kay, that teacher, because it was, um, it was such a valid way to not spend your time, but way to look at drama, which had previously been something portrayed as very like flip or frivolous and like a kids thing. Um, and I remember, yeah, just the time she took to talk about it, and the fact that she had been an actress as well made it much more tangible. Um, I didn't have any, I didn't know any actors. I I mean, growing up in the UK, you're not like aware of that as a job prospect, I don't think, especially as a kid. So I didn't know how tangible it was, but I knew that that feeling was something that I wanted to chase. And then you start seeing kids in movies, you know, like I loved the movie My Girl and seeing Anna Klumski in that, at, I think she was nine or 10 when she shot that. And so becoming aware that that is a, a thing that people can do. Um, I remember telling my mom that I wanted to be an actor when I was older and amending that to actually, I want to be an actor now. So what would you say is the thing that kind of bridged the gap between feeling inspired and saying I want and actually getting that first gig that kind of got the ball rolling? That's where I'm, where like really good fortune steps in where I went to a school, there wasn't any kind of drama school, but we had a really brilliant drama department and they used to let casting directors come watch over drama lessons or do open casting calls. Um, and a casting director, Priscilla John, watched over our drama lesson and chose myself and another girl to audition, come to these open auditions for this film, Miss Potter. Um, and I'd grown up watching, uh, reading Beatrix Potter books, so I was very familiar with it. And my mom let me go because she thought it'd be a great experience of rejection and that it was so magical and far-fetched. And then I ended up getting that role. Um, and Priscilla John, the casting director, introduced me to my agent, who I'm still with, so it was kind of, uh, there is no way to comprehend like how that dream and wish become became that kind of reality in such a small amount and such a truncated time because I was 12 when I did that so it's surreal. I love talking about the actor-agent relationship especially when it's someone you've stuck with and I don't think we talk about that nearly enough. Mm. What, what did you see in your agent early on and still see in them today that signifies to you like this is someone who understands what, what I want in the stories that I tell? I think because she was interested in what I wanted, even uh, talking to a 12-year-old, she didn't try and orchestrate what, or prescribe a career trajectory for me, or even what type of roles I should audition for or do. And at the beginning of your career, obviously you're kind of prone to say yes to everything. You have to. And even then she gave me a sense of understanding of like, no is your greatest tool, so you don't have to do anything. Um, so that's really informed the way that I operate now, where like, I, I love this job so much, but it's not the be all and end all to me. And I feel like an author in it. In, I therefore feel like I can um, say no to it sometimes or be more of an architect in, kind of, in my career path. And to have that sense of self-ownership at such a young age sets you up, I think, just as a young woman in such a powerful way. And so I'm 
the older I got, the more I realized how grateful I was to her just for those reasons as well. So the older you got, which, uh, which credit would you say helped you kind of, I guess like put your goals into focus the most in terms of the types of stories you wanted to tell, but also the types of onset environments you wanted to have? I think in terms of onset environment, that first film, Miss Potter, it was such a gentle, um, generous introduction to this industry. And I mean, completely ethereal in terms of the subject matter and the people I was working with. And Chris Noonan, the director, was incredibly nurturing and and such a guide and leader for a child to be in that very intense environment. He was so nurturing and sensitive towards that. And so, and, and also getting to not do direct scenes with uh, Renee Zellweger and Ewan McGregor directly, but getting to be on their, in their work environment and, and understanding the kindness and patience they led with really set the bar pretty high for what a set could and should be like. And I think subconsciously that tune, attuned me to, to how it could be. Oh, I love hearing that about actors I admire. Mm. Um, so as you got older, you clearly had a lot of wonderful experiences being a child actor, but which project would you say, I guess, like made you feel like an adult for the first time? Like your creative input was being heard in a different way. I think there were two projects that I did one summer, and one was called Life in Squares, and it was a BBC three-part period piece about the Bloomsbury group, um, Vanessa Bell and Virginia Woolf. And I played Vanessa, uh, Virginia Woolf's niece, Angelica Bell, and she was a real person, so got to do a lot of research for that. But the director really um, asked for my input more than I had ever experienced before. And then straight after that, I went on to Sing Street, and John Carney, who wrote and directed that, did the same, where he really, he'd created these characters so vividly, and it was semi-autobiographical, so I was, I think I just turned up willing to be directed, kind of, um, not in a passive way, but in a way that like really gave him all the authority, and he really pushed back on that and gave all of us complete ownership of our characters and I had never experienced it to that extent before um, and especially with fictional characters where you have such limitless territory to to cover so it was a lot of responsibility and and you know one that was so pivotal in me understanding that I had a voice worth hearing and using so many things straight hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
follow-ups first because <laughs> you kind of were just uh, hinting at this a little. I had read uh, a quote somewhere where you were talking about how John and he encouraged you to create a backstory for that character mm. more so than anything you had ever done before. So whether it was that particular experience or any other director you've worked with, is there a director who encouraged you to try something new that you still do to this day, even if the project that you're working on is completely different from that one? Um, God, that's such a great question. Uh, I think... I don't know. I, I, I think it might be John in the way that I now take much more ownership of my characters from the get-go and, and try and hone in on more of a sense of a backstory than... And also that being really like valid, a valid thing to do. Um, but then again, I think working with Hugh Laurie last summer, um, he loved those characters so much and we really got to kind of just like live in that space unselfconsciously and, and the lines were so blurred between ourselves and the characters that it was it was such a pleasure to, I don't know, to live in that space and be in that environment that I think I, I let myself get a little bit more lost in characters now knowing that I know how to find my way back out. I give myself kind of permission to go further into living in their shoes a little bit. It's paying off quite well. Yeah, um, My other Sing Street follow-up. Oh, um, so the idea of breaking out with a film, I feel like this industry loves to say like, this was your breakout thing. And you know, Sing Street is usually labeled as your breakout performance. I guess many questions here. Did it feel that way to you? And whether it was Sing Street or anything, what would you say is the biggest misconception of what it means to have a breakout in Hollywood? But then also, what is something about breaking out that really felt like it gave you some momentum that you needed and valued? Um. I don't know. I think the biggest misconception is probably how much it impacts you personally. Um, but then I think that's just different from person to person because I think that's definitely been referred to as my breakout. But I, maybe it's just my relationship with the industry or, or, or with my career that it didn't feel different. I. I feel so deeply thrilled when people have seen that movie because I'm just so proud to be a part of it as a whole. I really love it as a, just from an outsider's perspective. Um, but I, but I didn't feel changed by it in terms of an industry chessboard in a way. Um, but I do, I think it was the first time where I felt grateful. I think the benefits of like a breakout is the implication that people haven't seen you do something like that before, so they're kind of taken aback. And I loved the idea of that being a thing. I'd never anticipated that. You don't think about those things being said about you. So the idea that I could catch people off guard with what I was doing was really exciting. And I think that's probably why I lean towards like dark projects because I think that's always such an opportunity to do that to more kind of horror. exactly it's been bring like on a, more like, horror. this is this has a horror tinge to it but I yeah. want more like straightforward horror Me genre too. stuff <laughs> I think because you can say so much with horror and you have such an, you have an opportunity to create such intense powerful interesting characters that yeah more horror I'm gonna put you on the spot what's the best recent horror movie you've seen oh man it's not recent 
but I, while filming, we had a late night shoot on Greatest Hits, uh, and I sat in my trailer for hours with a disco light on watching Psycho. And that film is just, every time you go back to it, is such a cinematic masterpiece. And Tony Perkins is like in a film and of his own as well. His performance is elsewhere. It is so not of that era of what the leading man was doing. So it's such an insight into him and that. But yeah, what a great movie. It's definitely a solid choice right there. So you brought up like the industry chessboard and it's making me think back to this because I'll never forget when news broke that you were on the short list to play Iris West in The Flash. And I'm curious from, oh from your perspective, I guess it's a kind of misconception thing. Like what do you think is the, because like we sit here and we report on it and we talk about it and we theorize, but what would you say is the biggest misconception about what it can mean to you personally to be part of that kind of conversation that, that people out there might not know about. I didn't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was right after Sing Street came okay. out, so I was busy like looking at every single person oh, cool. in the Sing Street cast. I'm like, where can I see them next? That's so funny. Um, I think that's always really exciting and really flattering, and especially when you see people who are um, followers of, of a, a comic book or a book series and then they hear it's being adapted and they start doing their ideal cast. Anytime I've been on that like little personal list or, or that in, in the media, I think that's just in, uh, incredibly flattering that people are wanting to see more of you. And especially when something is like uh, special to them, then that's, yeah, such a compliment. I feel like we don't uh, cover very many shortlists anymore, but like all the shortlists, your way, ultimately to, to getting the role. Thanks. Um, this is the part of the interview where I panic that I haven't hit enough of your titles. And this is a question that I love asking to at least get at two of them and also hear about the different acting techniques out there. Of all of the co-stars you've ever had, who would you say you are most immediately in sync with, where you have a very similar approach to the work, but then who's someone else who challenged you to adapt to what they like to do and maybe you tried something new for the better? Oh my God, that's such a great question. Um... I'm like trying to mentally go through my, my CV. Um, I think most recently the person I felt most instantly in sync with is Will Poulter when we were doing Why Didn't They Ask Evans with Hugh, and Hugh, both of them actually. Um, because it wasn't so much about process as again, just like living in that environment and feeling very free with those characters um, and very quickly finding that dynamic between them um, and just how much like how much I loved that project I think is indicative of how comfortable I felt um, and so that one is one that really stands out as a place that I was really reluctant to leave um, and then someone who's been really different um, I remember working with, wait, what do I want to say? I think someone like Jack Rayner in Sing Street, um, who, it's not that he works in a, in a specific way that like, that forces you to adapt to his, it's just observing him. He was so, um, vivid in in this those scenes. I think I think he's the heart of the film, and he would just plunge into them and just go for it. And again, as like a young actor, I think I was slightly more tentative and would ease my way in. 
with takes and he would just be so bold in trying things um, and be and loud and take up space and really you know create such a saturated sense of that character that I remember just watching that within a scene and being so taken by him and just like in awe of his ability to do that and be that and I think that has really informed the way that I approach work when I've I've genuinely in the last few years when I've struggled with how to do a scene I've been like what would Jack do I love that that does not surprise me to hear about him yeah, given everything he's, I've seen of his so special this I mean I don't know if there's going to be an answer to this question but I've I've gotten in the habit of asking this as well looking back on all of the most challenging scenes you've ever filmed is there any that kind of gives you that confidence in yourself now that when you're about to tackle something you don't know if you'll be able to do you think about that scene and you can say to yourself like if I did that like I could do anything <laughs> I think it's more a feeling it's like Betty Gilpin, this actress, actually wrote a book you read recently. The book. I stalked your Instagram. God, she's it's incredible. a good book. That she's book. so good, and she speaks so specifically about the experience of being an actress. I think all actresses should read it. I had her on Ladies Night once, oh and God. I'm pretty sure, like, like my face was dead because I was just like mesmerized the entire. Oh, like, she's I literally amazing. could have just let her talk the whole time. Truly, <laughs> and the, and she, her book is like that, and she talks about. Um, sometimes finding this thing where in a scene it all stops being acting and being pretend and it just becomes real and you really feel the feelings your character is supposed to feel and you're you live it for a minute and a lot of the time it's and I enjoy the uh, analytical and technical side of it uh, but a lot of the time it's that it's trying to create something and then sometimes when you just get that feeling that's when it feels true and also you feel really capable I think and so it's going it's knowing I've had those experiences and knowing that that's always possible um, and I think that is also like weirdly freeing as well because then you're not relying on like I'm good it's like chase the motivation like the feeling of it all just having a conversation about someone about like chasing that feeling versus chasing like someone behind the monitor going like, we got it. Yeah. It's like two completely different types of feelings. Yeah, and I think because you're, as an actor, you you um, you hand over so much of the creative control. You only have those moments between action and cut that are yours, and then ultimately you, you're handing it over to a director and an editor, and then a studio. Um, so in those moments, it's like, I can't trust so many times where I've been like, that's a good take, that's a bad take. I've watched playback and it's actually, that's a bad take, that's a good take. So I can't trust my own rating system. It's only like the the, the feeling of it. And it's like, if I, if I know that I felt it completely truthfully in that moment, then I've just got to trust that whatever appeared was honest at least. <laughs> All you can do. All right, jumping into pale blue eye. This is probably going to be a close to impossible question to answer, but... How, how do you determine if you're hitting the right balance in terms of like recognizing the fact that, that Leah might be doing something bad, but she's doing it because of a reason that's out of her control. She had all this great promise and it was essentially taken away. So mm. what was it like trying to you know make sure the audience very clearly understands that even though it's ultimately revealed that you know she has been doing something bad all along? I found it really easy to empathize with her. I found it really easy to justify her actions. I think when when I 
kind of in discussion in discussions with Scott and just as the understanding of the character evolved and and kind of clicked in my brain I think realizing who she was before this illness and then who she is when she has that kind of fire ignited in her when she's with Poe or just well and she hasn't had a seizure for a while she really she's lo someone who loves life and has this intensity about her this hum of electricity about her that is being so dimmed by a force that she does everything to push against and is kind of succumbing to that to realize that there is this cord of hope and possibility that there is a way out that of course she would take it of course she would grab it um, and then I think it's really easy to go down and dark when, when you can justify those things and you can understand them. And, and I wanted to go further with the end. I wanted her to go full horror film. Because um, you can understand, I was like full bloodlust. <laughs> and Scott kept anchoring it of like, okay, but the empathy, we've got to empathize with her. And I'm like, but blood. Well, as a, as a horror-obsessed person, now I need to know if he let you go full horror, like, what might that have looked like? That, I think, goes into a place where it's like... Uh, so, I remember we talked about, and I talked, I've talked a lot about finding the crossover on the Venn diagram with her where it's prey and predator, and she's constantly playing between both, and I would have gone, I wanted to go full predator where it's just when you watch animals that are predator and there's just like a stillness and like a lasering in on the prey and it is chilling. I'd love that. Where you guys landed is pitch perfect, but like I it do was really more I appropriate. just want to see that. I want to see it. Just That'll be a fun. different horror film. That'll be a <laughs> Fine, as long film. as there's more horror films exactly. in your future. Exactly. Um, a very specific scene that I wanted to focus on, the scene with Leah and Poe at the cemetery, because like in a mere like seconds or like minutes of uh, screen time, you have to take her from like three pretty extreme emotional places and make it all feel fluid. It's her connecting with Poe, her getting angry when he asks her about the weather and then her feeling I guess the horror of the seizure coming on mm. when you're doing a scene like that how do you know that there is fluidity to that and it doesn't feel I guess like three distinct chapters in a single moment for her I think it's that's such an interesting question I think it's it's identifying the chapters in preparation and then the more you can justify them and become comfortable in them as her life and so you really flesh it out and think through it extensively so it sits familiar in your bones. And then you can understand the way that a tone can change so quickly in conversation when someone just goes, when you're hopeful and anticipating it going one way and then it diverts. And this thing, and also it was just the joy of like layering that with next time if an audience watches it, I hope they see something else when she's talking about Artemis and the similarities and she's weighing up the future as she's seeing it. Um, that was a lot of fun to kind of pepper in. But but yeah, it was it was kind of becoming familiar enough with, with her and sitting in her enough that that becomes more seamless. And then again, trusting Scott, that um, being able to work with a director that you trust so completely that we knew the beats and so he would be able to technically fine tune where we need a bit more of one, a bit less of the other, and then a great editor. You're kind of, I feel really lucky to be in their hands knowing those minute beats. Speaking of Scott, 
So on this film, you're working with like Scott Christian and a team of people who usually stay together and go from production to production. Is there anything specific to the way that that team operates that even when you're not specifically with them, you hope to see on future sets out there? Um, I mean, I was really struck by the conscientiousness that in different ways that Scott and Christian have for everyone on the job, that Christian, especially in those climactic scenes where the environment is incredibly intense and possibly dangerous, he's got eyes on everyone, making sure they're okay. And then Scott is so attentive in the way that um, he doesn't break, he never kind of pops the bubble of the emotion that you're in in those scenes. He, The way he delivers direction is so intimate and so kind of actor-friendly, I think. Um, and just, it means both when both of those things are happening and those people are deeply immersed and committed to their work, the environment is just so fluid and you're constantly, rather than stopping and starting again, you're constantly building on something. Um, and you feel really, you know, like a, like a team, you feel really, mutually involved in everything, which I think is, is so conducive to any kind of creative environment. I want them to make whatever they want, but I want them to stay together to keep giving people exactly, that experience. Exactly. I must leave you. Thank you so much for talking to Pale Blue Eye and sharing some of your experience with us on Collider Ladies Night. Cannot wait to see more. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm mad I didn't say Chevalier once. This oh my god, me too. And interview. also I was gonna say the person I've connected with is Kelvin. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.